You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, The editors of the Washington Post just want what's best for you. And that means marriage. There's a lot of social science out there backing up the idea that marriage is what's best for you, for everyone, because married people live longer, especially married men, married straight men. Actually, when you drill down into the data, the benefits of marriage, at least the straight kind, are less pronounced for women, as the social scientists like to say. Married straight men get a much bigger longevity bump than married women do. The theory goes, married men, less likely to take stupid risks, more likely to see a doctor at the urging of their wives, while married women are more likely to be murdered by their husbands. And murder has a way of erasing the health benefits of marriage. Anyway, in an unsigned editorial published under the headline, If Attitudes Don't Shift, a Political Dating Mismatch Will Threaten Marriage, the Post's editors raise the alarm. They open by noting something others have noted, namely that it's getting harder for straight women to find suitable partners as straight men are suffering from higher unemployment, lower rates of educational attainment, more drug addiction, and deaths of despair. On top of that, some straight women insist on making it a little harder for themselves out there by refusing to date men who are shorter than they are or make less money than they do. And now, heaped on top of all of those complications, More women than men identify as liberal or progressive. The gender gap in voting has never been wider, and we've been sorting ourselves ideologically and geographically, which is making the future of marriage look even more dire. Because increasingly, people don't want to socialize with, much less date, fuck, or marry, people they disagree with politically. And that goes double for Democrats. The Post cites a survey of college students, Gen Z college students, that found that 71% of Democrats would not date someone with opposing views. The Post didn't cite the stat on Republicans who might be willing to date Democrats. I looked the survey up. 70% of Republican young men were willing to date liberal women. So when the Post writes, this mismatch means that someone will need to compromise, they mean women. Democratic women will need to compromise. And if women won't compromise, if women won't bend, if women aren't as willing to marry men who vote for rapists as men are to marry women who object to being raped, the only other option left to women, according to the Washington Post, will be not getting married at all. Huh. Seems to me that might not be the only other option. But first, a couple of things I do think women should be willing to compromise on Height. Take it from a guy who's into guys. We all can't be with guys who are taller than we are. And income. Take it from a guy into guys. We all can't be with guys who make more money than we do. But I can understand if women were given a choice between a Trump supporter and no one, why a lot of women would choose no one. Actually, a lot of women are choosing no one. Marriage rates are declining fast, thanks in part to the political dynamics, the post decries, Because while there are women out there willing to settle for shorter guys who make less money, those guys, by the way, make great stay-at-home dads, a lot of women won't settle for guys who can't wait to vote for the rapist again. Those guys don't have riz. Short for charisma, Oxford University Press's word of the year, those guys have anti-riz. Which is why, seems to me, that the real winners of this growing divide in the long run are going to be straight feminist poly guys, real ones, not Brooklyn-based Joseph Smith wannabes and knit hats they knit themselves, actual feminist straight poly guys. It may not be the compromise the Post was fantasizing about. The Post wants women to overlook politics, to downplay those political differences and focus instead on they don't say The unnamed redeeming qualities, I guess, of guys who back the party that stripped women of their right to choose and want to slap the contraception out of your hands and have banned interstate travel in some red states by women of childbearing age and are right now trying to send an Ohio woman to jail for the crime of having a miscarriage. 
Yeah, no. Which is why I think for an increasing number of straight women, if faced between a choice of dating a Trump supporter, being alone, or going in on a timeshare boyfriend with a few of their besties, a lot more women, as time goes on, are going to opt for that last option, for dating and sharing those poly-straight feminist guys wherever they can find them. Or maybe the kinksters will figure this out for us. Maybe the kinksters already have. In another piece in the Washington Post, reporter Hallie Lieberman shone the spotlight on a relatively new subculture in the BDSM community, which itself is a subculture, so we're talking sub-subculture here. The headline, in a world of sexual fetishes, crossing the political aisle is a kink. Does a forced vote for the other side get your pulse racing? There's a dominatrix for that. Lieberman profiles MAGA dominatrixes who've ordered their libtard subs to change their voter registrations to the GOP and gay Republican frat boys on their knees begging their black masters to punish them for backing Trump. These kinksters are not ignoring their differences politically or otherwise. They're not downplaying them. They're not papering them over. These kinksters are leaning into them. They are, as the Marxists like to say, highlighting the contradictions. And in doing so, maybe the kinksters are showing us the way out. Unlike in the non-fetish world where most Biden and Trump supporters have few friends who vote for the opposing candidate, Lieberman writes in her piece, in the fetish world, political opposites mingle. And if you're into political fetishes, you may become, ironically, more open-minded to the opposing side's views. As one conservative dominant said about their liberal clients to Lieberman, if you're going to effectively dominate them, you have to kind of know why they hate you. You know, if the kinksters help us bridge this divide, if they show us how both sides might be able to compromise sexually, erotically, and perhaps one day romantically, it wouldn't be the first time the kinksters showed us the way. The kinksters were way ahead of the rest of us when it came to enthusiastic consent and the hotness of scheduled sex. Dungeon parties are never spontaneous. This fucking is never an impulse purchase. And kinksters were way ahead of the rest of us when it came to defining sex broadly. Help us out, kinksters. You're our only hope. All right, a couple of quick announcements before we get to the show. Early bird discounted tickets for the 2024 Hump Film Festival which features all new five minute or less porn flicks are on sale now for the opening festivals in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco, and for the spring tour in cities all across the United States, Canada, and Europe. Go to humpfilmfest.com and get your tickets to a live screening. See Hump how it was meant to be seen. Go to humpfilmfest.com and get your tickets now and get them at a discount. Get them for yourself and get them for the fun, sex-positive people on your list. Hump tickets make great gifts. Coming up on today's show, on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum, Amy Baldwin and April Lampert from the Shameless Sex Podcast join me to talk about Cuddle Puddles, Step Porn, a masseuse who chokes her clients, and their new book, Shameless Sex. All that coming up on today's show. This episode is brought to you by Field, the dating app where the open-minded can meet the like-minded. My listeners get a free month when you download the app for the first time. Go to feeld.co slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace, therapy made easy. Get $80 off your first month when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and youth. Uh, I'm a married guy in my 30s. So several months back, I went to a concert with a friend, and we arrived separately. We met at the concert, and it turns out she was coming from a party and arrived absolutely hammered drunk. Can't know for sure what she was thinking, but during the course of the concert, she did some things that I can only conclude were trying to make a move on me, um, both in what she was doing and what she was saying. She was drunk. It was loud. It was a concert. So I basically just 
tried to stop that from happening and try and enjoy the show. Uh, but eventually it got to a point where we just had to leave in part because she was so drunk. She was bumping into other people and disrupting other concert attendees. I made sure she got home safe and then I went home. You know, she knows that I'm married in a non-open relationship. Um, she's friends with my wife. You know, we all hang out together in the same group of friends. But whether it was because the timing wasn't right or because conversations like that are hard, I just never ended up having that conversation. So it's been a few more months. You know, I took some space from that relationship for a little bit, but we're sort of back to being friends. Everything seems back to normal. You know, she had apologized for the way she acted at the concert, but didn't seem to indicate any memory. I don't know if she remembers what she did or not, but she apologized for being that drunk. So I just kind of let it slide. Uh, I just haven't told anyone about it. And part of what upsets me is that you know, she's someone who I've considered my best friend for the past while. And I think we have really similar values and actually have interesting conversations about sex and relationships. And so it's made me feel bad. Like I should have been having those conversations or that I did something wrong, which I don't think is true. And I don't want that to be true. But yeah, I'm a little bit torn whether I should just keep this a secret and just monitor for anything inappropriate or whether I should actually bring it up and have a conversation about it. She may or may not remember what she did that night, how she behaved that night. She may be following your lead, if she does remember how she behaved that night, and not directly addressing it. You took some space, some time away from her, you've circled back, you've reestablished your connection, your friends again. She may not wanna blow that up, or she may think that she's following your lead here and not directly addressing the fact that she threw herself at you that night that she humped your leg, that she made a clumsy, drunken series of obnoxious passes at you, that could reveal one of two things, that this entire time you two have been friends, she's had a kind of crush on you, or she's been laying in wait for the right opportunity or moment where she had plausible deniability because she was so drunk last night, or she just needed alcohol to obliterate her inhibitions, and she acted on her attraction to you, her friend who's in a monogamous marriage with someone else and who assumed you did, her friend, that this was a platonic relationship and that you connected over shared interests in music or bands or whatever it is. Or, you know, it could be she was so drunk and you were just there and if it had been anybody else, she would have been acting in the exact same way because she was out of control, blackout drunk, really fucking messy and it might have nothing to do with you specifically. And she might not actually be attracted to you. And she hasn't had throughout the entire history of your friendship, some ulterior motive. She's likelier to claim that's the case to, to say it's the latter. If indeed she does have some forbidden crush on you and you'll have to use your bullshit detectors at that moment to determine which is it, which you believe. But you're going to have to talk to her about it. There's something that you need to hear from her to be at peace with this, to be comfortable being friends again for the relationship as it exists now. It's always going to feel a little different than it used to, but for it not to feel so damaged, for you not to feel so compromised by being in this relationship, by being friends again with her. So just tear the fucking bandit off. You don't have to tell your wife. You don't have to poison her relationships with other people. You can handle this just between the two of you. You can hold your friend accountable without having to, you know, send up a flare and alert everybody in her life about how she behaved that night. You can just go to her and say, ah, that night you were so drunk. You made this series of passes at me, lunges at me. And I just want to hear from you that you respect my relationship and that you aren't ever going to do something like that again. And then see what she says. She may say, oh, I've always had a crush on you. I got so drunk that night. I'm really sorry. I can put this behind me. I know that it's unrequited and it'll burn off and I'm so mortified. Or she'll say, oh my God, I don't even remember what happened that night. And I was so drunk. I was would have been humping the bar stool if it hadn't been you. Not that there's anything wrong with you. Maybe your ego doesn't want to hear that it's not actually you she's into. Or maybe it does. But whatever it is that she says, I think hearing something from her about it is going to be better 
for you, even if all you get from her is that she is so mortified and embarrassed about what happened that night, that could be enough. You also might want to encourage her not to get so fucking drunk and set a boundary with her that if she ever shows up anywhere where you two have planned to hang out together, that fucking fucked up ever again, you'll be a good friend to her. You'll make sure that she is in a cab and on her way home or you will get her home, but you are not going to see the concert with her. You are not going to spend any more time than you absolutely have to at that moment with her. You will only spend enough time with her to make sure she is back home and safe, but no other time. And if there are other friends with you when she shows up in that condition, you're out. She may need to hear that. She may need to know exactly how drunk she was that night and how much damage how drunk she was that night did to your friendship. The friendship survived that night. You guys are friends again. She needs to understand. You need to tell her that your friendship couldn't possibly survive another night like that. Hi, Dan. I'm a queer, cis, polyflexible woman living in upstate New York, 31 years old. My experience with polyamory has mostly been through primary relationships with secondary partners or flings on the side and also periods of monogamy. A year and a half ago, I met a man in an open marriage. I had already met his wife before and befriended her. As I said, it's a small city. But when he started pursuing me, I had paused for both of those reasons. And also, I value my privacy. However, two weeks later, I went to a kink party at their house and saw that they both had multiple partners that they all knew about. And it was all pretty hunky-dory from what I thought. And so I decided to get involved. It ends up being the best sex of my life, just truly mind-blowing and delicious. And he was also really encouraging me to get involved in kink, which is something that I had really wanted for many years. He's also very loving, very affectionate, a really good listener, was offering a lot of emotional support, and I ended up just really, really liking him. In this time, she and I also become best friends. So from where I'm sitting, I'm just having the time of my life. Unfortunately, a few months later, they decide to get a divorce um, over the issue of whether or not to have kids, over the fact that he wanted to move to back to California, which is his happy place, and because there was emotional turmoil in their marriage after years of difficulty. I had always considered the relationship temporary, but in the year that he was gearing up to move back to California, he decides he wants to be a relationship anarchist and be solo poly. Um, but I also become his primary source of emotional support. And even though that lifestyle isn't really compatible with what I want, we become best friends and, of course, end up falling in love. It was a really beautiful relationship, but there were also a lot of emotional tumultuous moments for me, some very triggering moments that no matter what your relationship style, I would be very hard-pressed to find someone okay with some of the things that happened. But instead of breaking up with him, I decided to see it through because, as I said, I was in love with him and he was moving away anyways. And I don't really regret that decision. But I did just help him move to California. I just got back from what was a, of course, heartbreaking and difficult, but also a very beautiful trip with a lot of very special, loving moments. My question is, I don't really know how to pursue relationships in my life now. I don't know in my pursuit for more connections that can be more primary and more stable if I have to tell them that I have a long-distance lover that has told me they want to be in love with me the rest of their life and they have to be okay with that and that's non-negotiable or if I use the long distance as an excuse to de-escalate what was a beautiful but chaotic relationship. Uh, help me, Dan. I'm very confused and also very in love. As frustrated as I sometimes get with monogamous people, monogamous, it's not people who are practicing monogamy, not people that monogamy is the right choice for them, but people who regard monogamy as superior, as frustrated as I sometimes get with those people who look at me, non-monogamous as I am, poly as I am, and will say things to my face like, I could never do what you and Terry are doing because I value commitment too highly, as if we are not committed as if we don't get some credit for time served at some point for all the years, the decades we've been together. All right. So as frustrated as I sometimes get with monogamous people, man, do I sometimes get frustrated with polyamorous people, man, know when to say when one of the, I think chief problems in a lot of polyamorous relationships is that people in poly relationships don't know when to pronounce a thing dead and over 
this relationship with this guy involved, you say, a lot of tumult and drama and chaos and hurt feelings. And yet, and yet, because if you're Polly, you can have as many loves as you can possibly work into your Google Cal, as you can fit into your schedule. You can't let each other go. Even though you're on opposite sides of the country now, even though he doesn't want what you want, which means on some level he doesn't want you and isn't right for you. You want something that's a little more committed. However terrific the sex was with him, however much you appreciate him for opening you up in a real way to kink, he wants solo polyamory and relationship anarchy, and you don't. And so, yeah, you should absolutely seize the opportunity here to pronounce this relationship dead over. So he told you that he's going to be in love with you for the rest of his life. Sure. That is something that people often say. Sometimes people mean it, but sometimes what people mean by that is, and I will always love you. Like, it doesn't mean I'm going to be with you. It doesn't mean I'm going to move back to upstate New York to be with you. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree to have the kind of relationship a primary relationship with you that you would like to have. It just means that I will always think of you fondly. And I'm having a hard time pulling my meat hooks out of you. You know, he's gotten a lot out of this relationship with you. You were his primary means of emotional support during his divorce. You helped him move across the country. You know, I don't want to pour poison in your ear, but was he telling you what you needed and wanted to hear at that moment? Maybe out of self-interest? Maybe out of kindness and true and honest and real affection for you and maybe some combo of both. But whatever it is, you need to regard this thing as over, as over. And you need to move on. As I assure you, this man has moved on. And now that he's back in his happy place, now that he's back in California practicing solo poly and relationship anarchy, he has moved on to new partners who understand that of course he can be with or fuck anybody he wants and have as many relationships as he can schedule. And there you are in upstate New York, wondering what to say to somebody that you might want to date and what it might cost you if you want to grandfather this guy in to your romantic life. Practically, how often are you going to see this guy? What does that actually mean? Is he going to come visit you? Or are you going to go visit him? Is he going to have time for you? If he ends up in, you know, two or three more relationships in California, he's not being celibate. He's not pining for you. Don't fucking pine for him. Move the fuck on. And when you have a conversation with somebody you're dating about your romantic life, your romantic history, you can be honest about this guy. You were with a guy for a while. He was married. It was an open relationship, a polyamorous relationship. It wasn't something you thought you wanted or could do, but you did it and it was good. And this is where you left it. He's on the other side of the country and you still have feelings for each other. And then if the person that you said all of that to is like, yeah, that's not for me. Okay. Then somebody's got to pay the price of admission at that moment. You have to say to that person, okay, well, I will officially and formally end things with this person who is 3,000 miles away and not pining for me, not pining for you, or I will end things with you because I want to have, at least in theory, this relationship with this guy who moved 3,000 fucking miles away because he wanted to have relationships with as many people as he could possibly jam into his Google calendar. I wouldn't make that mistake if I were you. You referred every once in a while to this relationship in the past tense, and I would encourage you to end this relationship so that it is officially and formally in the past tense. And you can move the fuck on. That's sometimes what poly people have a real problem with. Declaring it dead, moving the fuck on. Not hoarding relationships. You're poly, you can have more than one relationship at a time. Being poly doesn't mean you can never end a relationship. Obviously, he's capable of ending a relationship. He ended his marriage. You can end your relationship with him. For some of us, for many of us, the holidays are more challenged than cheer. 
Days get shorter, issues with family become harder to ignore, and the holidays can be particularly challenging for those of us who are trying to stay sober. Online therapy with Talkspace can help you feel better and give you the tools you need to navigate this time of year with the mental health support you need to keep it together. With Talkspace, you don't have to wait to get an appointment or travel to an office. You're able to access your provider from the comfort of your device. You can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider who is right for you, typically within 48 hours. There's no need with Talkspace to commute to appointments. You won't have to miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend your sessions. It is mental health care made easy. Also, Talkspace therapy is affordable in-network with most insurance plans, meaning you'll only have to pay that copay. And finally, you can rest easy. Talkspace is secure and Talkspace is private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, and they're in full compliance with the latest HIPAA regulations. As a listener of the Lovecast, you will get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com savage. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com savage to get $80 off your first month and also show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com savage. What up, Danny and everybody else? Check it out. So me and my ex, we broke up. Hence the ex. It was a long, serious relationship. We broke up. After we'd been broken up for a couple months, I started talking to this new girl. And it's going pretty well. We hang out a couple times. Not with any overtly stated romantic intention, but there is a vibe. Like, we both are kind of sussing out the situation. Anyway, it turns out I really like hanging out with this girl. We're having a good time. But then I start talking to my ex again for crazy reasons, but those talks start going really well. And we start thinking about working on things and eventually getting back together. So I really like that idea and I think it could go really well, but now I want to deescalate things with this other girl and somehow smartly inform her that this is no longer an option. But the problem is we continue to hang out because I really like her and I want to be her friend, but I can't make this vibe go away. This like tension. I've tried talking about my ex to kind of make clear what's going on and it hasn't worked. She's uh, started kind of like hitting on me a little bit more now. So I'm kind of like, ah, fuck, what do I do? I don't want to lose her as a friend. Uh, I do want to make it clear that this isn't going to go anywhere, which is extra hard to do because nothing was ever stated. It's just a vibe currently. So yeah, any advice on how to de-escalate the building romantic tension of me and my friend? Hints will not do. Subtly attempting to de-escalate or deconstruct or diffuse the vibe, that's not going to work. Look, this woman isn't interested in you as a friend. She is interested in you as a potential romantic partner. That's why she's hanging out with you. That's why she's vibing with you. That's why she has recently begun to hit on you. And talking about your ex or trying to talk about your ex, trying to make it clear what's going on with your ex and somehow failing to make it clear what's going on with your ex, which how do you fuck that up? How do you fail at that? You say to this woman, look, my ex and I have reconnected and we're going to give it another shot. We're going to get back together again. So I am off the market. That is easily said and hard for the person who might be interested in you, who hears that to misconstrue. It's not that she's failing to get it. It's that you're failing to deliver it. You are not putting that package on her porch and ringing the doorbell. What she needs from you is clarity. You got to call this woman. Next time you two hang out, maybe you could say it to her face. My ex and I are getting back together. I'm sorry. When we first began hanging out, my ex and I weren't getting back together. We weren't even speaking, but we've reconnected and we want to give it another shot. I know this is painful for you to hear. I'm sorry that I've hurt you like this. It wasn't my intention. You want to get out in front of something like that. You think you're being kind when you continue to hang out with somebody who's interested in you when you've realized that a relationship, a romantic relationship, isn't possible. You think you're being kind, hanging out, still vibing with them, not rejecting them cleanly, clearly, unambiguously, because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to be a bad guy. But Kicking that can down the road 
that makes it worse for them in the end because she's going to not only continue to think she has a chance with you and invest in you emotionally, she's also going to invest in you in that dream time when we're fantasizing about the relationship that we might be getting into, the relationship and the life together that could be. So it's not just the time with you, the real time that she's enjoying, but those thoughts, fantasies, dreams about a future with you. And if there's no future with you, you need to fucking tell her. Not hope that she very slowly realizes. Not try to talk about your ex. Drop hints that you're in contact with your ex. Not try to make it clear what's going on. But tell her you're back together with your ex. Tell her what is going on and what is not going on. And nothing is going to be going on with this woman that you like, who to some extent, in some way you care about. And so you are hesitant to hurt her by telling her unambiguously the truth. But what you're doing there is being a little fucking coward. You want to hint and try and ultimately make her do the work, shift onto her shoulders the responsibility for dumping herself because you don't have the courage, the decency, or, you know, the heart, because you do like her, to do the dumping. You want her to reject herself for you so you don't have to do it, and I'm sorry, but that is not the way it works. What you're doing right now, something we used to call stringing a person along, is a lot crueler. So, call her. Don't try to tell her. Tell her. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. And leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least, but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code savage at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Hey, Dan, 20-something-year-old woman calling from Canada. My boyfriend of a few months recently, well, we've been friends for years. He recently disclosed to me that he is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse from one of his parents and I just really have no idea where to start in supporting him. Like for further context, I've dealt with my own parental trauma, but it's really in a different realm. Beyond encouraging him as he starts therapy next month, I'm just wondering if there's something that I can do. I really don't want to lose him and I don't want to see him lose himself. I can't tell you how to best support your boyfriend. Your boyfriend can tell you how to best support him in this process. It may be that he needs to be single while he does this. And the best way that you could support him would be to tell him that if he needs to face this alone, if he and his therapist believe that he can only work through this trauma and confront these issues when he doesn't feel obligated to be intimate or sexual with a romantic partner. And if he needs to exit the relationship while he does this work, and then hopefully down the road, pick back up where you two left off, that you'll be fine with that. 
and that you won't be hurt or angry, that may be one way that you could support him. Also changing if you do stay in the relationship, if he wants to stay in the relationship, if that's what's best for him, changing what it means for you two to be in relationship right now. It may be that being your boyfriend, having a girlfriend while he works through this would be very helpful to him, but expectations around intimacy or sex might be a problem that as he does this work, as he confronts this history of trauma and sexual abuse, the hands of a parent, just terrible to contemplate that sexual intimacy may not be possible for him. And for you to say to him, if we need to take sex off the table while you do this, and yet you still want to be together, we can do that. I can do that. I will do that for you. You are already being supportive of him by just being able to articulate that you wish to be supportive of him. I assume that you've communicated that to him and not just to me and to us, to the other listeners. I assume you've communicated that to him already. Just make sure that he knows that whatever it is that he needs at this moment, you will prioritize. You know, a relationship involves give and take. Sometimes you prioritize your partner's needs and at other times your partner reciprocates by prioritizing your needs. What he's about to confront is so enormous that it may be that for the next six months or a year that that won't be very reciprocal. That that prioritizing of needs in the moment may be for the next six months or a year kind of a one-way street. Tell him that if that's what he needs, you can and will do that with and for him. This episode is sponsored by Field. As it turns out, people do change. It happens all the time on Field, a dating app for the curious. Radical transformation is so common there, there's a term for it, the Field effect. And the proof is in the stats. 62% of Field members evolve their sexuality, their interests and desires within their first year on the app. 181,000 people change their sexuality within their first year on Field. 57% of those who change their sexuality become less straight. 58% of people become more curious about the concept of GGG, good giving and game. And in 2023, interest in switches went up by a fifth. Why do so many stories of transformation run through the Field community? Whether online or IRL, this space draws open-minded people. The openness is also right there in the stats. One in two people on field have a kink. 80% of people on field believe good things come in threes. As in MMFs, FFMs, MFMs, and MMMs. To be specific, this means male, male, female, three ways, female, female, male, three ways, and so on. You get the idea. More than half of straight people are chatting with people who aren't straight on field. If you're not entirely sure, if you've ever questioned, wondered, or fantasized, field is the place where you can freely explore your desires, where you don't have to know, where you can be open to finding out. And in the process, finding your youest you, just as so many other members of this community already have. Curious? For a limited time, receive a free month of Majestic membership when you download the app as a new member. Just go to field.co slash savage to access your free month of Majestic membership. That's F-E-E-L-D dot C-O slash savage. In search of others, find yourself. Hey, Dan Savage. I'm a longtime listener, and I dated my high school boyfriend for five years. We got married when we turned 21. And it's been another five years, so a total of 10 years together. We were monogamous for most of those years per the default setting, but I've always known I was hypersexual. We've had threesomes, and in the last two recent years of our marriage, we've actually been in an open relationship, don't ask, don't tell agreement. Much of this podcast helped me discover my sexuality, myself, and explore that. Here's the issue. In our third year of dating, he cheated on me with a specific ex-girlfriend, and at the time I had already said, if you ever want to sleep with anyone else, can you talk to me before or at least tell me soon after so we could discuss the trajectory of our relationship and monogamy? 
I was furious as this particular ex really rubbed me wrong and she was definitely on my do not fuck list, although we weren't actually open at the time. We worked through it. I generally thought we were a much better couple afterwards and he did tell me the very next day. The past 10 years of my life have been the greatest years I've ever had. I've been so happy. And I was fine with writing this off as a simple mistake because monogamy fails us. We don't fail at monogamy, right? Just this November, my husband confessed to me that he cheated on me four times back in 2018 before we got married. And well before we ever decided or talked about actually being in an open relationship. Since then, he said he hasn't done it again. And... I also found out that in the last two years of being open, he hasn't been successful in sleeping with anybody, whereas I've been moderately successful. Dan, I feel betrayed. The first cheating with the ex felt like a one-time mistake that was easy to write off, especially after I started listening to your podcast. This new information about having been cheated on and subsequently lied to for the last five years has my head spinning. This guy fits every single one of my checkboxes. He's a great and kind partner, a best friend. We play like kids. He put me through school. He's helped heal some of my childhood trauma. We don't disagree often, and the sex is fucking amazing. He's my .78 rounded to a 1. But this went from a one-time transparent mistake to a handful of times with deceitfulness. Even though we're open now, he still technically betrayed me during that time period. As it stands right now, I told him I don't have a final decision about whether I want to stay together or divorce. So here's my question. If we're not monogamous anyways, should I just write it off as old news? He hasn't even slept with anyone the last two years. I have so much more I want to say and ask, but this isn't therapy. This is a podcast, and I just want to know what you think, since I've heard many other stories similar to infidelity on here. Yeah, you should get a divorce. Obviously, of course, you should get a divorce. You should divorce this man that you love, that you have great sex with, who put you through school, who helped heal you by loving you of some trauma in your life prior to you two getting together when you were 16 years old, who is now very supportive of the open relationship that allows you to be the hypersexual person that you are and have sex with other men and he doesn't resent you and he isn't angry even though he hasn't managed to find anybody else to fuck since you officially opened the relationship, you should definitely divorce him because a handful of times when you two were teenagers, before you got married, before he made that official and profound monogamous default setting commitment to you at the altar in front of your family and your God. He fucked around with a couple of other people. Definitely, definitely divorce his sorry ass. No, don't divorce this guy. What are you doing? What you want to do, what you should do is backdate the opening of the relationship, the establishing of the DADT arrangement to encompass, to include, to cover the small handful of times before you got married when he fucked around with some other women. You should be happy for him that he got some other experiences back when he could. He hasn't had any success now. You've opened the relationship up. You're married. He's married. As you know, you say you're a listener of this program. You've heard us talk about this before. It is much easier for married women in open relationships, particularly DADT open relationships, to find men who will fuck them than it is for married men in open DADT heterosexual relationships to find women who will fuck them under those circumstances. So, uh, yeah, maybe instead of on a technicality, on principle, deciding you have no choice here but to divorce this man because, yes, he did deceive you, you could allow for it, forgive it, let him have it, because he's not getting it now with anybody but you, and it sounds like what he gets with you is great, but, you know, you guys officially opened the relationship, and you've gotten a ton of dick, a mile of dick, I don't know how much dick you've gotten, but you've gotten some other dick, bonus dick, non-marital dick, and he hasn't gotten a tunnel of pussy but he got a little bit back in the day when you were fucking teenagers. Let him have it and be gracious about it and be maybe thankful for it. You know, usually when we hear from guys 
who are in open heterosexual relationships that are DADT and, and their wives are getting a lot of dick. They're having a lot of experiences and fun since opening the relationship and they haven't gotten any since opening the relationship. They're very unhappy and sometimes ask for the relationship to close back down. Maybe the reason your husband is content in your open DADT relationship, even though he's not getting to have sex with anybody else and you're getting to have sex with other people is that he did have sex with a few other people back in the day, back before you got married. So maybe what he did, betrayals though they may have been, deceit though they may have involved, is contributing to the success of your marriage, to your husband's contentment in your marriage, in your DADT open marriage in which you're getting other dick and he's not getting other pussy. Maybe you should be grateful to those women and to your husband for doing what he needed to do to stay married and stay sane. Did it back then? Could have done it better? Could have had a conversation with you about it before he did it? Maybe should have? Didn't? Considering how great he is otherwise and how rewarding this marriage is otherwise, I think it's in your own best interest to forgive him and backdate the opening of the relationship to allow for the other women that he slept with, particularly as you run off this weekend to sleep with other men. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments about last week's show posted at savage.love. Says BGM, I think Dr. Debbie Herbenick's point about choking memes is so important. We hear so often about how porn has normalized choking, but I see way more choking content on social media. People joke about wanting to be choked on Twitter and choke me daddy shows up in the comments of every thirst trap. I shouldn't generalize from my own anecdotes, but I would peg the rise in choking to social media at least as much to porn. Says thingamajig, I don't think that caller should hate fuck her high school bully or even have coffee with her. I got the impression that the bully was primarily interested in the caller thanks to her success and perhaps connections in the fashion industry. This former mean girl turned sapphic flirt could have ulterior motives. And finally, says Angie and Dave, Regarding talking to your kids about sex, consent, and boundaries, we found something of a fix. In addition to direct conversations with our kids, sometimes fruitful, sometimes not, we have a bookshelf in a fairly quiet hallway where our kids can grab books without having to broadcast to others that they're looking at them. This shelf allows us as parents to ensure they're getting high-quality, vetted information, not just top Google results or nonsense from Manosphere goons or goop-style lifestyle influencers. That is a great idea, Angie and Dave. Thank you so much for sharing it. And I'm proud to say that the little library Angie and Dave pulled together for their kids features books from so many past Lovecast guests. Because It Feels Good by Dr. Debbie Herbenick, Let's Talk About It by Erica Moen and Matthew Nolan, Ejaculate Responsibly by Gabriel Blair, and more. For parents who want to adopt Angie and Dave's approach, which I fully endorse, we are going to post Angie and Dave's book list in the show notes. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, be sure to check out Struggle Session, a weekly bonus column exclusively for Magnum subs. It goes up every Thursday at savage.love. For all the perks of being a Magnum sub, become one of my subs today at savage.love slash subscribe. And hey, if you're a micro listener who objects to paying for podcasts on principle, add the Lovecast to your Christmas list. Yes, you can gift a Magnum sub, you could be the recipient of that gift Magnum sub. And now listener response calls. Hi, Dan. I just listened to episode 892 and your answer to the one man who met a 30-year-old when he was 16 uh, really bothered me uh, because for people who don't know, and it sounds like you don't, that is actually grooming. So if an adult meets a minor uh, and proceeds to form like a close emotional uh, attachment with them and kind of like slowly fosters this relationship where, you know, initially it was like, oh, here, I can help you out with musical theater. And then it's, oh, come over to my house to look after my dog. And then after that, I'll hang out with you. And this kind of like slow, intentional deepening of the relationship just for as soon as he turns 18, the older man then tries to make a move on him. That's like, textbook grooming and it really bothers me that you didn't bring that up for the caller 
it makes sense if you're feeling betrayed and hurt and not understanding exactly what happened because what this older man did was intentionally form a close emotional attachment with you so he could try to manipulate you into sex. That is just what happened. If the second someone turns 18, he's trying to fuck you. That is grooming. This is for the lesbian who moved out of the country because she was so relentlessly bullied and now has one of her former bullies contacting her in, in a very flirty way and is considering hooking up with her when she's back in town for the holidays. Dan, you do not speak for everybody when you say, fucker, this, this old bully. I had a totally different interpretation of what's going on, and that is that this woman is trying to hurt you again, that she's trying to get you in some sort of a position where she can, like, leave you humiliated or worse. I also think... Unless she's in an open relationship, an open marriage, which I'm not sure she is, that why would you want to be her side piece, especially because this woman made you miserable? There are so many other people in the world that you could have sex with. I do not understand why you would do this. And I certainly don't think that it's a good idea because I think that you're setting yourself up for something really unpleasant to happen. I don't think that bullies change overnight into nice people. This is for the woman in the last episode who was considering he fucking her bully. The fellow lesbian who had my share of unfortunate encounters with other people in middle and high school. You must go hate fuck your bully. You must. Otherwise, you will be letting down the sisterhood. Go, go now. Then not upon the order of thy going, but go, go, and let justice be served. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can record your question or your comment at savage.love slash askdan right now. Or you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. You can also give us a call and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Remember, early bird discounted tickets for the 2024 Hump Film Festival are on sale now at humpfilmfest.com. Get your tickets to a live screening, Hump How It Was Meant to Be Seen, and get them at a discount again right now at humpfilmfest.com. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage, and I'm still on Bad Place at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Amy Baldwin on Instagram and threads at Amy Shameless Sex, and follow April Lampert on Instagram and threads at April Lampert. And be sure to check out their website and their podcast and their new book at shamelesssex.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Breathing, panting, drooling, obviously erect.